So good morning, Living Hope Church. It is good to be with you. Thank you, worship team. And I am delighted to have the privilege to teach today. And I'm so, I so very deeply treasure this opportunity. And I want to be faithful in shining a light today on the kingdom of God so that we can more brightly see what a treasure that it is. Treasuring the kingdom is the primary focus of today's parables. And my hope is that together we will more clearly and confidently understand the kingdom of God and see it for both how and see both how and why we should treasure it as well as better appreciate its resounding life-changing impact on our lives. I can't wait to show you this. But first, let us go before the king together in prayer and ask for his help. Would you bow your heads with me and pray with me? Father in heaven, we treasure so many things in this world, so many frivolous things that are unimportant to your kingdom and provide no lasting value. We are far too easily contented with the things of this world and we can miss the joy and glory of your kingdom. As C.S. Lewis says so eloquently, we can be like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slums because we cannot understand, like we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Will you please, Lord, show us today the overwhelming value of your kingdom? And I pray, Lord, if there are some present here today or watching online today or in the future who are hearing this message of the good news of the kingdom of God for the first time, then, Lord, speak to their hearts and open their eyes to see clearly through the soul-piercing power of your word. And I want to ask all of the congregation to join me in this final word of prayer. Will you please repeat after me, Father in heaven, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the treasure of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. And if you will permit me a little liberty this morning, I want to open up this message a little unconventionally. For one, I'm not going to start with an introduction about myself. I'm going to save that for the end. So it sounds a little strange, but just go with it. If you don't know who I am, you're going to have to wait. I'll tell you at the end, but this message is not about me. It's about Jesus, so it will be okay. Also, we're not going to start with the main sermon text, which I know sounds very unconventional, and it makes me feel a little nervous too because I don't like not starting with the primary text, but... I like, for example, I like when pastors come up, they give the primary text, they expose it, they explain it, they apply it to our lives. It's very comfortable, it's very focused, but we're not going to do that today. I want to hold you in suspense for a little while. I want you to think, hey, I wonder what that text is going to be. I wonder when we're going to get there. I want to build up to today's passages. And hopefully that when we get there, we'll have a more satisfying experience of enjoying them together and getting all of their worth out of them. And don't worry, these parables today are very short. There's only three verses, so we'll get there soon enough. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to that text right now, it'll be in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, 44. You can put your finger there if it makes you feel better. It can also be found on page 819 of your Bibles in the back. And it's easy to remember. 1 plus 3, 13 is 4, and then 44. See, I'm getting you to do a little bit of math this morning. 1 and 3 is 4, and verse 44. 13, 44. Matthew. Okay, but here's the deal. Don't look at it yet. 
you'll spoil the fun. And don't be like my six-year-old son. Okay, when you tell him not to do something, he wants to just do it anyway. Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Mike, I don't care what you say. If I want to look at the passage, I'll look at the passage. And just trust me, be patient. And don't be impatient like my six-year-old son, James, who, like on many of our road trips this summer, he constantly, two or three hour trips, will say, how many minutes yet till we get there, Daddy? How many minutes yet? And I'm going to give you the same answer that I would give him. Just be patient. We'll get to the parables when we get to the parables. Okay, so have you ever seen a movie start right away with an action sequence where you get into the action-packed scene right away? There's a high-speed chase. There's explosions. There's a, uh, you're gripping your seat from the very beginning of the movie. That's how I want to start today's message, with a few action-packed, intense sequences here to help us first reevaluate the kingdom of God properly. You see, like the disciples in today's passage who misunderstand the kingdom and need to be taught, we too need to reevaluate our perspective on the kingdom of God. Okay, so to help us with our kingdom perspective, we're going to parachute right into a story at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry when he's being questioned by Pontius Pilate. Jesus has been arrested by the Jewish council and wrongly tried for blasphemy, and they want Jesus to be put to death. So they turn him over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and they ask Pilate to sentence Jesus to death. So Pilate takes Jesus away from the crowd to question him, and here's where we enter the scene. Now, the key word today is kingdom, so carefully listen to the kingdom for the kingdom and how Jesus talks about it. John 18, 33 on, your, on the, on the uh, screen here. So Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or do others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. Listen, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth truth, listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So right now here we learn something important, that the kingdom of God is not from this earthly world. Jesus says, My kingdom is not from this world. And he also affirms that he is the king, And he gives insight into his purpose for coming into the world. He says that it's to bear witness to the truth. This is the purpose why Jesus came into the world, he says. Okay, so let's hold that thought over here. And let's contrast with that with another compelling scene. And for this scene, we're going to have to rewind all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is right after Jesus was baptized. In this scene, we see Jesus face to face with Satan. After 40 days of fasting, Satan tries to tempt Jesus to abandon his mission and purpose before it even starts. What was that purpose from the last scene? To bear witness to the truth. Satan hates truth. Satan is the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. And there in in this scene, we find him distorting the truth, attacking the truth, and trying to tempt Jesus to stop his ministry right in the beginning. So here is the scene, Luke 4, verse 3. The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Observe here. Jesus resisted every temptation and defeated and defended himself with what? With truth. With the written word of God. Do you see the connection with Pilate's scene? When Jesus said, I have come to bear witness to the truth. And what was the devil trying to do here? It says the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and offered the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. And he's saying, and he's saying to Jesus, look, Jesus, Jesus, you don't need the kingdom of God. You don't need the kingdom of God. Leave that kingdom. Come, worship me in my kingdom here on earth. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is trying to persuade, or Satan is trying to persuade Jesus to abandon the truth, abandon his mission to bear witness to the kingdom of God. And by the way, you better believe that Satan also tries us to get us to do the same thing every day. Abandon the truth. Live for false kingdoms in this world that lie to us. So the good news here, Jesus stood strong against Satan and he fought him off with the truth and the words of God. And then in verse 13, it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And when was that opportune time? Well, it was just kind of towards that beginning of that scene that we had with Pilate. It was around that time. So let's recap. Jesus said the kingdom is not of this world. His purpose is to bear witness to the truth. And he rejects the devil's offer of the kingdom. So we now know that the kingdom of God is extremely important to Jesus. And so it should be important to us too. As we continue to reevaluate the kingdom properly, let's step forward now from the temptation scene to just shortly thereafter and see if Jesus continues to talk more about the kingdom of God and his purpose. Okay, so one more scene. Here, shortly after the temp- Jesus is tempted by the devil, he returns to Capernaum and is teaching in the synagogues. And people are amazed at the wisdom he's teaching. And he is healing people. He's healing the sick. He's growing in recognition. And everyone wants to be near him. So much so that he withdraws to a desolate place. This is even before he calls the disciples. Let's join this scene together. Luke 4. Now, while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him. And he was laying his hands on each of them and healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. And yet he was rebuking them and would not allow them to speak because he knew he was the Christ. Now, when day came, Jesus left to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him. And they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, I must also preach the kingdom of God to other cities because I was sent for this purpose. So he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, so so here is Jesus just after he rejects Satan's offer of the worldly kingdom. And what do we see him doing next? He is preaching the kingdom of God. He is affirming the decision he just made with the devil. I choose the kingdom of God, and that is why I'm here. He is showing us here that the kingdom of God is not about the world's kingdoms. 
That's a big insight to help us better understand today's parables and we will, that we'll read in a few minutes. God's kingdom is not of this world, and his purpose is to proclaim that truth. Furthermore, if Jesus says that proclaiming the kingdom of God is his purpose, then we would expect to see him talking about this continually throughout his ministry. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, he should con- it should constantly be coming up, right? Okay, I can't wait for you to see this. It's really exciting. It's going to be a little fast-paced. So stay with me. Okay, here we go. First, before Jesus' earthly ministry even began, John the Baptist says, Matthew 3, 3, listen, in those days John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness of Judea and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus says this, now in Mark 1, 15, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. What? The kingdom of God is at hand, has come near, repent and believe the good news. Next, when Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is teaching about the kingdom of heaven with his very first few words. He opens his mouth in the most famous sermon he ever preaches, and he starts with this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How about this? When Jesus sends out the twelve apostles in Matthew 10, he gives them instructions to go to the towns ahead and prepare for them for his upcoming visits. And he gives the disciples powers to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. But guess what else is also his primary instruction to the disciples? Matthew 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. When the apostles returned... What do you think they saw Jesus talking about? Luke 9. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And, they took, and, he, and he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them. And what? Spoke to them of, of the kingdom of God. And cured those who, needed, who had need of healing. Jesus was constantly proclaiming and emphasizing the kingdom of God. Including teaching through many of the parables. By saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Or can be compared to that. And we'll come back to that in a couple minutes. But before we see that, see this. Even after Jesus' resurrection, in the book of Acts, what do you think is the first thing the book of Acts records about the resurrected King Jesus doing? Acts 1-3. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So let's recap. Before John's ministry, before his ministry, John the Baptist proclaims the kingdom of God is near. Jesus himself proclaimed the kingdom of God early and often throughout his ministry. And even after his resurrection, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Let me ask you something. Do you think this was important to Jesus? Do you think it's something he wanted us to understand better? Yes, of course he did. Listen to this. The Jewish Pharisees evidently were even also so tired of hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom of God that they flat out asked him when it would come. Take a look at this. It's very important for our parable. Listen to this. Luke 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they, will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, among you. 
For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, among you. What does this mean? What does this all mean? Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about the kingdom of God? Because he needed to reform the way that everyone was thinking about the kingdom of God and how it would come. You see, if we trace the story of God from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, it was prophesied that a Messiah King would come and save God's people and establish an everlasting kingdom on earth. However, all of the Jews who believed in this messianic promise thought the kingdom of God was going to come all at once and that the Jews and the disciples expected that it would be a great and powerful earthly kingdom with new political power, new geographic power, the kinds of power that they saw with the kings of the Old Testament, like King David and King Solomon, for example. The Jews expected that when the Messiah showed up, all of this would happen right away. And so they're all waiting for Jesus to kind of make his move. But listen to this. This is important to hear. God had a different plan. To reestablish his kingdom on earth more slowly. Because he wanted to rescue us from our sin first. Indeed, the kingdom of God is being built one heart change and one life change at a time. While the kingdom of God truly will one day magnificently come down from heaven to earth, and that day will be the end of the age at Jesus' second coming when the heaven and earth will be fully and finally reunited, for now, God is building his kingdom here one Christian at a time. That's God's plan. But even more so, the kingdom of God is here now because Jesus was here, and where the king stands... His kingdom reigns. He told the Pharisees, Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's saying, I'm bringing the kingdom here right now. And so Jesus is clarifying what the kingdom of God is like right now. Is that it's different than what it will be like in his second coming. He has begun to fill the earth with his followers. Hear this, the kingdom of God right now is not limited to a physical geography like Israel, nor is it contained within an exclusive people group like the Jews, but rather the kingdom of God is the church. God's people, Christians from all corners of the earth. The kingdom of God is God's rule and authority, and it's now being built and carried forward by the church. We are the people of God's kingdom, and that is good news. And we are to proclaim that good news to all ends, the ends of the earth and are instructed to make disciples of all nations. God's sovereign will for us is to participate in his kingdom coming to earth. What a mystery and what a glorious endeavor we have. And if I may interject a short cultural side point here, the world currently vastly misunderstands Christianity. What I mean by this is that the world sees Christianity as this exclusive group that excludes others. But what we must realize and show the world is that Christianity is not exclusive. Jesus' message about the gospel and the, and the kingdom of God is not exclusive. But rather, it is the most inclusive religion in the whole world. Truly, we, see all, we will see all people groups in the kingdom of God. The Apostle John prophesied and saw a vision in in Revelation 7, and he's talking about seeing the kingdom at the end of the age. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne. 
God's plan for us is to participate in reaching every corner of the earth and spreading the good news of the gospel in the kingdom of God. Okay, so here's the moment you've all been waiting for. The main parable text of today. I hope now that we laid some groundwork, you can enter this text and appreciate it a little bit more. Jesus is in this scene. He's teaching the disciples. We're in Matthew 13, 44. And at this point, the disciples are still confused about the kingdom. And Jesus is teaching about the kingdom using parables. Indeed, this was before... Indeed, this was um, this is what the summer series is all about: stories of the kingdom. And before this scene, we we're about to read. Jesus was teaching the crowds about the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven. We learned about some of these recently in in other messages in this series. In each of these, Jesus starts the parable: the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. And so now we have these short three verses that contain the parables of the hidden treasure and pearl. Notably here. Jesus has now left the crowds and he shares these parables directly with the disciples in order to help them increase their understanding of the kingdom. He just shared with them the explanation for the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And here comes a specific parable for the disciples. Each parable so far has emphasized something important about the kingdom. The emphasis here, Jesus wants the disciples and us to understand how we ought to reevaluate the kingdom personally excuse me, revalue the kingdom personally. So Matthew 13, verse 44. Here is the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So let's talk about each parable a little first and then we'll compare and contrast, see what we can learn. First, the parable of the treasure in the hidden field. It is assumed that this treasure is either covered up or buried and the man came across it accidentally. There are lots of fields around here that you can relate to. They all kind of look the same, and how often do you drive by an ordinary field and think nothing of it? We don't even pay attention. We wouldn't expect to find a treasure there. We don't even think, we wouldn't even think to look for one. It's just a regular field. It would be unusual for us to imagine finding a bag of treasure or a large sum of money, but try to imagine what this would be like. And I, you know, I I did experience this once when I was about eight years old um, at a summer venture camp, and one of the things we did on this summer camp was a hike through the woods, and the camp leader said, when we went on the hike, we're going to go on a treasure hunt. And I had no idea what he meant by treasure, but it was exciting, and, and what do you know, lo and behold, at the end of this hike, he says, hey, what's that over there? And he, he begins to, it, what looks like a garbage bag, this big black garbage bag filled with treasures. It was all kinds of cookies, candy, snacks, Capri Suns, to a child that was a treasure. Some are saying, hey, that's a pretty good idea. I might use that with my kids next week. Um, But Jesus isn't talking about that kind of small treasure of snacks and food, or or even if you found a $20 bill or $100 bill or somewhere on the ground that you could relate to. No, no, no. Jesus is talking about an immense treasure that is so valuable and so exorbitant a treasure that this man went and sold everything that he had in order to buy the field so that he could gain the invaluable treasure. 
Now, in Jesus' day, there were no formal banks like we think about now. So it actually was not all that uncommon for people to hide or bury their most valuable possessions to protect them from being stolen. It's like when you go to the beach and you're like, what am I going to do with my wallet? What am I going to do with my phone while I go in the water? You say, I know, I'm going to just hide it in my shoe. Just put it up there in my shoe. Nobody will look for it there. Or no, 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 here's a better one. I'm going to wrap it up in a towel, not a beach towel. I'll wrap it up inside and I'll put it next to my chair Thief's going to come, he's going to look around and say, ah, nothing here, he's never going to unfold the towel, right? So, imagine, we can imagine a little bit what this was like in the first century. It was more conceivable to the disciples listening to this parable story that they could, this could actually happen and you could stumble upon a large treasure and be willing to sell everything you had to gain access to it. And notice even more so, the man who found the treasure did it with joy, he did it quickly and earnestly and with excitement. The main points here, Unlike my adventure camp story of hunting for a treasure, the man in this parable was not treasure hunting. He just happened to to come upon the treasure coincidentally. And the treasure was so grand that he would happily trade all that he had, all that he owned, to obtain access to that treasure. Now what about the very similar merchant parable? While at first glance it seems rather identical to the hidden treasure parable, there are some important differences and we should pay attention to. This time the character is not an undefined man, but rather a specific professional trade, a merchant, who will buy and sell goods. And this merchant was a buyer of pearls. He's actually seeking to buy fine pearls. So the man who found the treasure found it coincidentally by happen chance, and the merchant, by contrast, was in the process of searching for fine pearls when he came across the one pearl that was of such great value, was so precious and rare and beautiful, that he would also go and sell not just some of his possessions, but all of his possessions in order to buy that one pearl. So you're asking, what is Jesus trying to teach the disciples and us here about the kingdom? First and primarily, we learn from both stories that the kingdom is something to be discovered. And it is a personal discovery. Normally, kingdoms are very large places that are easy to see and define. Kingdoms have vast borders and defined borders and clear borders. Like when you go to Disney World, you go to the Magic Kingdom, you know you're there. You have a map with the whole place. There's a castle in the middle. There's Mickey Mouse pictures everywhere. It's on the Mickey Mouse pictures, they're on the walls, they're on the lampposts, they're even on the garbage cans. And then when you enter, there's a big sign that says Magic Kingdom. But Jesus says no. The kingdom of God is not like that right now. It's not yet like something large that you can see, but rather it's hidden like a treasure. That needs to be discovered personally. Indeed, it's a personal relationship with God through Jesus. The kingdom of God right now is the reign of God over his people, the church, and it's being discovered one heart change and one life change at a time. Do you see this? And if you are here today or watching online, you've already discovered this treasure of the king in your life, and you are a true follower of Christ, let me ask you this. How did you discover this life-changing treasure? Were you seeking it out like the merchant? Or did you discover it seemingly by happen chance when you were not even looking for it? You see, the thing is, there is no accidents or happen chance with God. 
He is so compassionate and so generous and so loving and so merciful that even when we're not looking for Him, He is looking for us. Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In Luke 19.10, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and leaves the 99 to go after the one. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Remember the first scene we discussed with Pontius Pilate questioning Jesus about the kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. But he also said that his purpose for coming was to bear witness to the truth. He said in verse 37, everyone who is the, of the truth listens to my voice. This is breathtaking stuff here. Even if you're not looking for God, in his great abundance, in his love and compassion, he is looking for you and calling you. Is this how God called you? If so, rejoice and give thanks. Or are you here today, or listening online and hearing this truth for the first time, were you not looking for God before you got, came here today? And this very moment now, today, you see this great treasure in front of you? Then rejoice. Repent of your sins. Reject the kingdom of this world and all of its temptations and false pleasures and receive and enter the kingdom of God. But how can this be, Mike? Is this really true? Yes, I say to you, just look at the disciples who Jesus was telling the parable to. Directly in this passage, the disciples, by and large, were not looking for Jesus. They were fishermen. They were along the shore fishing, and Jesus said, come, follow me. Matthew was a tax collector in the tax booth. He's one of the richest in, in, in the area, and Matthew was collecting taxes. Jesus walked by and said, Matthew, come, follow me. And he left his tax books. Or you can be like, or you can look back at Abraham or Moses or Davis or many, David or many more in the Old Testament. These men were not seeking God, they were called. Is Jesus calling you right now in the same way? I pray that if you're here and you're not looking for God and He's stirring in your heart with the truth today, that you will receive the kingdom right now and be forever changed. Or perhaps. You are or were more like the merchant, searching for fine pearls, searching this world for things of value, searching for meaning in this world, searching for purpose in this world, searching for fulfillment in this world, searching for truth, and you keep coming up short. You keep finding that every pleasure in this world is not lasting. Every new toy, new car, new job, new political idea, new trophy, new self-help idea are all eventually dissatisfying and leave you empty again and again, and you feel like you're poor and bankrupt in spirit. You get let down time and again by this world, but you're still searching. Was this your story? Is this your story right now? Do you see the great pearl right in front of you? The everlasting kingdom of God? And will you give up all the fleeting pleasures that you've been pursuing or have pursued in order to receive the kingdom of God right now and forever be changed? But how can this be, Mike? Is this, is this really true? Yes, just look at the examples of Nicodemus going to Jesus by night, the Jewish Pharisee going to Jesus by night to question him, to ask him about the truth. Or look at another Pharisee, Joseph of Arimathea, who you remember and we read about after Jesus died on the cross. Let's pull up Luke 23 here. 
Look at this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the Jewish council and a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action to sentence Jesus. And he was what? Looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went on to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Are you seeking truth? Do you desperately want to find truth? Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Hear this. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And lastly, how should we receive the kingdom and how does it impact our lives? Receive the kingdom passionately with joy. <clears throat> we'll see it, we see in Matthew in 13.44 in that parable with the treasure, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys, his, buys the field. There is great joy when you discover a great treasure, like a child, in fact. Listen to this verse. When children are running towards Jesus, the children saw the treasure Jesus and ran towards the treasure joyfully. The disciples did not see it that way at that moment. And Jesus rebuked them and he said this. Listen, Luke 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And the disciples saw it and they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do you receive the kingdom? Passionately? Like a child. A child that was given a great present and their face lights up and there's joy and they jump up and down, they're excited, they're elated, they can't contain themselves. Yes, that childlike joy, that's how we should respond to receiving the kingdom. Have joy when you serve the kingdom here at church. Whether you set up chairs or you teach Sunday school, you serve in the youth group, or you serve on the worship team, the sound tech team, or you lead life groups or outreach groups, or you're part of those groups, serve with joy. You are building his kingdom here. And when you're outside of church, in your profession or home, raising your kids or making friends or at school or in your neighborhood, you're serving people, serve in your community and you're serving as a coach or a volunteer, serve with joy. And proclaim the kingdom of God. And share the good news of the gospel so that others too can feel this great joy and stop serving the false king of this world. Just one more thing. What is the most important thing for you to do with this joy? When Jesus said... When a Pharisee asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? You know what he said? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your joy, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor like yourself. This Pharisee that asked Jesus this question, he responded, this scribe, and he said, you are right, teacher. You've you've truly said he is one and there is no one beside him. And to love him with all your heart, with all understanding... And with all your strength and the love of neighbors like yourself um, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus saw that the that and Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, What? You are not far from the kingdom of God. 
Jesus commended the scribe and said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. God wants us to receive the kingdom passionately with joy. And it's about your heart. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures. Do not store store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure the kingdom of God and your heart will be with the king. Treasure the kingdom of God and your heart will be with the king. Christians and those seeking, I implore you, reevaluate the kingdom properly. Revalue the kingdom personally and receive the kingdom with joy. In closing, I'll ask the worship team to come back up and I'll, I'll soon, shortly, turn it over to Pastor Tim who's going to lead us in receiving the Lord's Supper. But first, as they come up, I want to just share a, a brief personal testimony. Um, many of you know or may not know this, but um, for about the last year and a half or so, I felt a calling to pursue becoming a pastor. Uh, And more so than just a pastor, a a church planner even. Um, And so for the past year and a half, um, begin to take steps in that direction. And with the support of Pastor Tim and the elders here at Living Hope, uh, Lord willing, in 2026, we were looking to plant a church from Living Hope somewhere else in York County, perhaps Dover area or the northern part of York County, uh, wherever the Lord leads us. We feel like there's a need there. Um, but in between now and then, I'm, I'm preparing. I started seminary. I'm training. I uh, finished my first class. Praise God. Um, in my second class, actually, right now, just started this week. And, uh, hey, it's, it's challenging. It's hard. Uh, God, has, God is faithful, and he is leading every step of the way. And my family and I are just taking one step at a time, one step at a time in faith. And over the next couple of years, um, Lord willing, be joining the the church planning residency and um, becoming more equipped through that. Just finished the Acts 29 church planning cohort for a year and a half with Pastor Tim and many of the other church planners in central Pennsylvania. Um, That was an amazing experience. I was with Ed there too as well in that that cohort. Um, So I just ask that you pray for my family, pray for me, um, that I would uh, be encouraged, endure through this process. And, um, and begin to pray that maybe the Lord is calling you to help and to be part of building his kingdom here in your county, to take this treasure to the ends of the world. Thank you.